0: Um, before I get started, I just want to share a little bit about our, our church plant and just say thank you. Um, without your sacrifice and without your generosity, um, giving to Sojourn Network, we wouldn't be able to do what we, we do. We wouldn't be able to share the gospel with people, and, and um, Atlanta would be worse off without your giving. So I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, we were just overwhelmed by your generosity. your generosity. Um, for us and for the other 14 uh, church plants. Um, so I just want to share a story um, so that you could rejoice with us. Because when you give, you're going with us. And the, the salvations that we see and the, the reconciliation we see in marriages and all the beautiful things that we see because of the power of the gospel, you are participating with us. And so I wanted to share a short story. Um, there's a guy named Jonathan Walker. We call him Waka. And if you've ever seen our website, he's the guy who does all the photography for our website. He's a non-believer. He's one of the the first guys that I met once we moved to Atlanta. And he is on Instagram, and somehow, someway, me and my wife went to a Braves game, and he saw a post that my wife made about me wearing all my Braves gear. And he sent me a message that said, I just don't understand the tattoos. I don't understand that you guys want to move into the inner city and work among the down-and-out and the hurting and the poor And and you're a pastor. I I just don't get that. So I'd love to meet up for coffee if you got time. I was like, i got plenty of time. So we go to coffee, and over coffee, he just shares um, his story. And over the course of about three years ago, he was in the process of committing suicide. He was getting ready to walk out into um, the MARTA, which is the train system. And his, his sister called him twice, and he figured since she called twice, it must have been an emergency. And so he answered the phone and didn't take his life by the grace of God. And over the course of the next two months, three months, as we're journeying with him, sharing the gospel with him, sharing our life with him, he starts to just wonder what the hope is that we have that he is, is feeling like he's just missing, um, feel that he's got this deep hole within his heart that he's just longing to feel healed, to feel satisfaction, to feel joy in the midst of sorrow. And he's just like, what is it? And so he pulls me aside after community group one night, and he asks me, he's, he's just wrestling through, he's like, you're, you're, you're answering questions that I have. Like, no one's ever done that. You're, you're talking about things that I really do struggle with and, and you don't say it in a way where, where you're just blowing me off and say, believe this. You're walking through your doubts and your hurts and you're, you're fighting to trust the Lord. And He's like, how, like, what is this? And so he just asked me, like, what do I need to do to have my sins forgiven? And so I got to share the gospel with him and now we're walking with him and we don't know if he's saved yet, but he's right there and your giving makes things like this possible. And so like, we can rejoice with this and Without your giving, like, Waka would have never heard the gospel. So I thank you, and I praise you for Christ in you. Um, so thank you so much. Um, today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5. Yeah. Today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10. This is a meaty passage. It's a weighty passage. Um, I'm not going to be able to walk through all of it and, and pull out all this beauty and the, and the beauty of Jesus in the midst of all these heartaches and hardships, So I would encourage you over the next week to just dive into this passage and read it for yourselves and just soak in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, So while you're turning there, I just want to set this up. All of us are afraid. There's all kinds of things that cause us to fear. Whether it be heights, whether it be the unknown, whether it be a new job, whether it be losing a job, whether it be sending our children off to high school or college, them leaving the home for the first time, maybe it's having a child for the first time. There's so many things in this world that cause us to fear. And for me, when I was growing up as a 10 year old, 8 year old, 10 year old, it was, I was afraid of the dark. And the reason I was afraid of the dark was because our neighbors across the street were in a gang. And they were teenagers and they would always torment me because I stayed home alone. They would yell through the windows, they would pound on the door and it just brought such an intense, paralyzing fear to me. And it transferred over to the nighttime because in the nighttime, I couldn't see them coming. And there's all the things that would roll through my imagination. I would just bring about this paralyzing fear where I couldn't sleep. And I remember in our house, we had the blinds that wouldn't quite cover the whole window. So there's a slither that you could see outside, and I believed that someone could see in. And so my eyes would just be glued to that slither, and I would just replay the worst-case scenario over and over and over, and I couldn't sleep. And then one night, I finally fall asleep. And above my bed, I have this, where the headboard would be, I have a picture frame with all my favorite baseball cards. And one night, somehow, someway, at about 3 in the morning, it falls off the hook and crashes down on me. And my fear just goes through the roof. I pull the cover over my head. I start kicking and screaming. And I just start yelling, dad, dad, dad. And my dad, by the time I got to the third dad, stormed into the room and flipped on the light switch. And it was at that moment that my dad showed up that my fear started to subside. And the reason that my fear started to subside is because there's something about fear that when you believe that someone has that the situation in their hands that you trust and believe can change that situation, you don't fear anymore. Fear starts to go away when you believe there's someone that holds it in their hands and the fear goes away. And the same is true in the face of death. Death is a reality that we all must face. It's the great oppressor. It's the great great equalizer. There's nothing you and I can do to escape death doesn't matter if we're young, we're old, if we're rich, we're poor, we're educated, uneducated. It comes for us all. There's no escaping death. It's the great fear. It's the thing that makes us all cower if we're honest with ourselves. But the hope of the Christian is that God rules and reigns and holds death in his hands. Therefore, to be a Christian, the hope of the Christian means that we don't need to know fear in the face of death. To know God means you don't have to know fear in the face of death because Jesus has conquered death and God holds it in his hands. And so today we're going to look at what is our hope in the fear of death? And what is this hope? How does this hope in the fear of death affect the way you and I live for today? Not just for tomorrow, not for eternity, but how does it affect the very real life, everyday life of our journey through this world? And so if you would, if you're able, stand with me for the reading of God's word. Starting in verse 1, we read, For we know that if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. We make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And so we're going to answer the first question. What is our hope in the face of the great equalizer? What is our hope in the face of death? We read this in Paul in verse one. He says, For we know that if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, trying to encourage them in the face of suffering and even death. And he doesn't beat around the bush. He comes right out and says it. He says, your hope, my hope, the Christian hope in the face of death is that one day God will bring about the redemption of our bodies. One day we will have a new Body, a perfect body. It says it is eternal. There's no way that that body can decay. There's no body that, no way that that body can fade or deteriorate. That body will be perfect and last forever. And Paul contrasts that with our earthly body as a tent. And many of you, if you're like me and you like to go camping, you know that a tent was never made to last. Me and my wife normally get our tents at Walmart, and what happens? is that after about one or two times of of camping, the the tent starts to have a hole in it. Next thing you know, you're sleeping in water instead of sleeping um, in dry ground. The tent just deteriorates. It was never meant to last. And Paul says that's our earthly experience in this body. And we feel it every day as we get older. We start to get aches and pains. We start to deteriorate. We start to hurt in ways that we never thought we could hurt. We're not 20 anymore, and we're not we're not, we're not growing beautiful and growing more, more strong. We're, we're growing weak because of the frailty of our body. And Paul says the great hope is that God has handmade a house for you. And we know a house is, is a safe place. It's a sure foundation. It's a place of protection. It's a place that can last. And Paul says this house that God has made for you in all its perfections and beauty will last for eternity. And Paul says that's our hope in the face of death, that when we die, we have a, a, a God made house, a God made brand new resurrection body. And so Paul would say in Philippians 3, again, he would say, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies, our tent-like bodies, so that we will be like his glorious body. It's certainty. It's not wishful thinking. Paul says, for we know. And hope in our day and age has lost its power. Many times when we say, I hope for something, it's more, more like, I wish I would get this. I wish this would happen. And so when we hear the word hope, sometimes it falls flat. There's nothing to it. But Paul says it's a certainty. This hope cannot be taken away from us. It's similar to this. Many of the men in here will understand and kind of resonate with me, especially if you're married. Every time me and my wife get into any type of debate or maybe a a friendly argument about past dates, remembering lyrics of a song or trying to remember the, the way something happened or trying to remember some. Something that I'm 100% sure, 100% certain it happens. I mean, I would bet everything on it, and 100% of the time I'm wrong. 100% of the time she is right without fail. And God is saying here that, that because God has made us, made us an eternal home, it is certain for we know that in the face of death, we don't need to know fear because we have a re- resurrection body waiting for us. And because we have this resurrection body, Paul says as a response, we groan. And we long to be clothed with that body. We read this in verse two. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. In other words, what Paul is saying is that because of, our, because of the weakness of our earthly body, we groan and sigh, longing to put on our new bodies. It's it's like this. Have you ever been to the doctor and gotten a physical examination? Many times when you get a physical, they test your reflexes, and reflexes are supposed to test some sort of neurological functioning, make sure it's going great and you're you're healthy. And I remember just being an athlete, I had to get lots of different tests and and, and just examinations. And in the physical, the one that without fail that they always do is like the knee jerk reflex. So they take the little hammer, they hammer right below your knee on the patellar tendon, and without, without trying to move it, without having to move it, without thinking about it, our leg pops up every single time. If he hits it right, the natural reflex is just for the, the leg to go up. And pulsing likewise. Because we have such a great hope before us, our natural inclination, our natural response will be to groan, to long for that. That's what we were created for. We long for it. We groan for it. It's just as natural as breathing. If you're a Christian, this hope is so glorious and so certain that your natural response is just to long for it. And just to prove it, just to show how in our everyday lives we constantly are longing and groaning for glory. We're groaning to be made new. And that to be a Christian is also to hunger and long for glory, long for our redemption bodies to be made new, to be made right. Let's just look at a few examples of how this happens in our everyday lives. We're in the season of presidential elections right now where they're debating and, and now we're waiting to see and vote upon who's going to be our next president, who's going to be our next ruler. And, and it, it, if you're like me, it stirs within you this this natural response that, man, this this time of year always stirs me to want a righteous ruler to usher in the good life. So I just long for it. And I know that this ruler just can't do it. He's not he's not perfect like our savior Jesus Christ. But I still long for it. It just reminds me that I'm not home yet. Richard Lovelace says this about this very thing. In the hearts of the people is a groping, inarticulate conviction that if the right ruler would only come along, the world would be healed of all its wounds. Creation is headless and desperately searching for its head. Our natural reflex to to knowing that a ruler or a president is coming is to long for one who really can bring about the good life. It's our natural response. And what about diets? What about diets? We're coming into the new year, and one of the big things we do is we diet. And if we're really honest with ourselves, diets is just a longing for a new body. And women, what about every time you put makeup on? It's a longing for new skin, for skin that will never age, that skin that will will shine so vibrant and beautiful so that makeup will be a non, it won't be needed. You'll be so beautiful and so glorious and you'll shine like the stars, it says. Every time you swipe makeup, it's a longing for resurrection skin. And what about tears? What about tears? Tears have a way of reminding us that we're not yet home. Tears have have a wide variety of things that, that we long for. Tears for the end of suffering. Tears for the end of pain. Tears for the end of miscarriages. Tears for the end of that which causes us regret and shame and guilt. Tears in all its forms, many times, is a longing for the end of that which causes us to hurt. I remember I was at, my cousin passed away about a year and a half ago. And I I got the honor to do his funeral. And I remember sitting there in the middle of the message and my aunt began to cry. And it's not a type of cry where it it just was normal and you you, you ignore it because you just hear crying all the time. It was a wail. I mean, it rocked you. And in that wail, you didn't need any words. You knew exactly what she was longing for and groaning for. She was longing for the dead to rise. She was longing for resurrection. It's just our natural response. We know this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And what about our fears? Fears have a way of unveiling that which we long for as well. About two years ago at our community group, one of the things we would do is we would have like an icebreaker question. And just to get people talking, help them feel comfortable and just comfortable in their skin to talk and, and interact with each other and, and talk about their hurts and pains and talk about the hope of the gospel. And one of the questions was, what's your greatest fear? And it was really funny for a while. People are scared of snakes. They're scared of clowns. They're scared of um, tarantulas. They're scared of a lot of different things. Most of the time, it end up being animals. But then one guy, he's in his, an older gentleman that, that just didn't talk much. He always kept to himself, um, very soft-spoken. Um, he just paused when it got to him. And it was one of those pauses where you knew he was in deep thought. Like you knew something was stirring. And he kind of mumbled to himself, and then, and then he cleared his throat, and he said, I'm, a f- I'm, I'm fearful. I'm fearful of dying alone. And within that, you see a longing for the end of loneliness. Just our, our everyday lives, you can just see we're groaning and we're hungering and we're, we're just crying out, please, please. All of our cries and longings, whether it's for acceptance, for healing, for hope in the face of suffering, for the end of death, for security, are all cries and longings for come, Lord Jesus, come. Because we know that the scripture is saying in Colossians 1 that Christ is the hope of glory. Christ is the hope of glory because He's the only one that can satisfy you. He's the only one that can heal you. He's the only one that can make things right. He's the only one who promises that he will make all things new. That's our hope in the face of death. It's not a, our hope isn't a place, it's a person. It's Jesus Christ. The resurrection body is is a great thing, but it's Jesus. Jesus is the one that we want and we really are longing for. Our body is just a byproduct of his grace and his goodness. We are a homesick people, desperate to put off the old and put on the new. So we groan. But as a Christian, we don't groan without hope. Paul says that God in his goodness and his mercy gives us his very self and the person of the Holy Spirit to guarantee that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. We read this in verse four. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. Why? So that what, that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Why has God given us himself and the person of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that what he says he will bring to completion? He has the power to do what he says he's going to do. One day we will be able to put off the old and put on the new. We read this again in in Romans 8. Paul, again, just, just putting forth this beautiful truth for us. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If you are a son or daughter of the living king, of God himself, you have the same power inside of you. Therefore, the destiny of Christ is now your destiny. His resurrection is now your resurrection. The end of Christ's story is now the end of your story. Resurrection. Hope. Sure, certain hope. And and what's so beautiful, we see in Romans 8 that God gives us a daily reminder in the Spirit that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, not even death. What hope? What hope? That God doesn't leave us to ourselves to groan. He he brings the Spirit Himself to dwell in us, to assure us that that groaning and that longing that He's placed there will have fulfillment. We will rise to new life, to life to the fullest, where pleasure forevermore will be our normal. What 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 a Savior. Like the song said, what a Savior. So how does this great hope of resurrection, of glory, affect the way we live today? Because it's great that this is, this is in the future, but what about today? What about, how do I navigate the hardness of life, the hurts of life, the, the everyday mundane, just everyday life? How, how does my hope affect that? And Paul writes in verse 7, So we are always of good courage, for we walk by faith, and not by sight. Paul's saying that the the hope of resurrection, the hope of glory, affects everything. This is why Paul, this is why Paul, let's use Paul as an example here. This is why Paul, even after receiving countless beatings, the 40 lashes minus one, even after that, even after being beaten with rods three times, even after being stoned nearly to death, even after being bitten by a poisonous snake, even by even after all the imprisonments and the, the, the harsh treatment, even after being abandoned by his friends and being ridiculed and pressured by, by his opposition, and even knowing that death is going to hunt him down every single day of his life, he keeps doing the very thing that is bringing this suffering and this threat of death upon him. He continues to share the gospel. He continues to try to spread the hope of the resurrection, the hope of the glory found in Jesus Christ alone. Why? Why? Because this isn't his home. He has a hope beyond the grave. Paul's able to endure because he knows that if he dies, he has a place, a handmade, eternal body waiting for him. And he will see Jesus, his treasure, face to face. That's our hope in the midst of death. That's the encouragement. So what does this look like? What does it look like to have a life of good courage for me and you? And I just want to give us one example of this, one one application for what it looks like in our day-to-day lives. And that would be that because we have the Spirit as a guarantee, we have the Spirit working in our powerless lives to produce a life of, of power is... Our questions stop being, why would I ever? Why would I ever fight for my marriage? Why would I ever disadvantage myself for the advantage of someone else? Why would I ever take the time to listen to someone who's hurting? Why would I ever share the gospel with my coworker? Why would I ever share the gospel with my family, my friends? Why would I ever move my family into the inner city to try to reach drug dealers, prostitutes, the poor and the hurting at the risk of our safety? Why would I take a lower paying job so that I can spend more time with my family? Why would I ever do that? But because we have such a great hope, we can be of good courage and our questions switch from why would I ever to why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I disadvantage myself for the advantage of someone else? Why wouldn't I share the gospel with my coworker? Why wouldn't I move my family into the inner city? Why wouldn't I? And you can go on and on and on. Why wouldn't you? There's, there's, there's me and my wife and our core team constantly get asked, why would you move into that neighborhood in Atlanta? Constantly. The crime. It's one of the worst neighborhoods in Atlanta. The crime, the, the, the shootings is a the normal there. There's drug dealers on our street. There's prostitutes walking everywhere. The, the, everyone's just saying, why would you ever risk going there? Why would you take your, your almost-born daughter into that neighborhood? Aren't you fearful for her? Like, why would you ever do that? And our response is not a boastful response in our strength and in our, 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 our look-at-me type thing. It's, it's, it's no, like, we have a hope beyond the grave. We have a hope beyond this world. Therefore, we are of good courage why wouldn't we why wouldn't we want others to know the hope that we have in jesus christ why wouldn't we want people to know that that this is not the end this is not all there is there's more why wouldn't we and i don't want this to come off where we experience guilt and shame like why don't you just go do that then like because this happened go do it let's look at jesus Let's look at the gospel. May the gospel just wreck us. The gospel transforms us. Why? So that we can take the gospel to others and see it transform them. We will never, ever ask and act upon the question, why, would I, why wouldn't I, if the gospel is not real to our hearts? Look at Jesus. He says in Hebrews 12, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What was it that caused Jesus not to run from the cross, not to, to be made to go to the cross, but what was it that for the joy set before him made him sprint to the cross? To endure the full wrath of God on your behalf. Why? Why did God do it? Why did Jesus do it? What was so valuable to him? What was so precious that he, with the joy set before him, ran to the cross? What was it? We see in Isaiah 53:11. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant, speaking of Jesus, will justify many he will justify many and he will bear their iniquities the hope set or the joy set before jesus that made him run to the cross was you and was me the joy set before jesus that made him that compelled him made him run to the cross was you and me so that he could purchase you and be with you forever And ever, you and I are the joy set before Jesus. And so may the joy that is set before us of being with our treasure, Jesus, and the love of Christ compel us then to go and share this good news with others, not out of guilt or shame, but because of the lavish grace that God has given to us. Why wouldn't we? And so I just want to end with a story to just bring about encouragement to us. Maybe a word of grace. Because speaking of death is just to be honest, it's not fun. Like as I was even preparing this message, I felt like every other word I was writing down was the word death. And it's just a weighty, hard thing. Um, So I I want us to leave encouraged. I want us to to experience the grace of God and the hope in in a real way this morning. And so many of you have probably heard on the news about a pastor named Davy Blackburn. Um, Davy Blackburn, um, I met him uh, about seven or eight years ago. Um, He was the first person to ever disciple me. Um, For about a year, year and a half, when I lived in Greenville with my beautiful wife, um, Davy just spent countless hours just pouring into me, sharing the gospel, growing me in the gospel, giving me a hunger for the beauty of the majesty of Jesus. It was the first time I was unashamed about Jesus was because of the faithfulness of Davy in my life. And so Davy and his wife, his, his beautiful wife, Amanda, moved to Indianapolis to start a church about five years ago. And tragedy hits. Davy leaves for the gym at about 6.15 in the morning, the day before Veterans Day, and three men break into their home uh, with Amanda being home alone with their one-year-old baby boy, Weston. Um, Amanda, at this point, is 12 weeks pregnant with a baby girl. And these two men break in, or these three men break in, and they take her life. The very people that Davy and Amanda moved to the neighborhood in, in Indianapolis to reach took her life. And I just want you to hear the words of Amanda's sister in light of this event. She writes. She had endured, speaking of Amanda, one of the most scary and helpless moments of her life in her own home. I know Amanda pushed and fought with everything inside her. She was stronger than she had ever been. She rose up in that moment and protected the precious gift, speaking of Weston, she had brought into this world only a year before. And I sat by her bed in complete and total awe of what my sweet sister endured. Through the distress and fear, she conquered. She knew it wouldn't be easy, but it would be all worth it. And oh the joy, oh the joy on her face on November 11th at 7.55 a.m. when she was able to walk into the arms of Jesus, holding her precious little Evie Grace in her arms. This, this was the most amazing day of her life. Death had been swallowed up in victory. The hope set before us is a hope that not even death can take from us. Pleasures forevermore will now be her normal forever. Our hope is that death has lost its sting. Because we have tasted the goodness of God's saving grace, we will never have to taste the sting of death. Oh, victory, where's your sting? Oh, death, where's your victory? This is our hope. This is our hope. And so for the Christian, I would just encourage us this morning. I know it's a sad story, but the sadness terminates in the most joyful time you will ever experience. And it lasts forever. So may we rejoice in the hope set before us. May we rejoice in the fact that Jesus was willing, because of the joy set before him, to to purchase this reality for us. And if you're a non-Christian here today, I would just encourage you, man, this hope is for you too. In this very hour, you can take Christ and experience the hope in the face of death, the hope of a resurrection. If that's you this morning, I, I just say, talk to one of the pastors here after the service. So let's pray.